hello and welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast. This is episode number 69. Joining me today, as usual, I've got Rohan. How's it going? Good. And all the way from the UK this morning, we have Adrian. Hey, Adrian. Hi there. How are you? Good, thank you. This episode is sponsored by Home Assistant Cloud by Navicasa. Easily and securely access your local Home Assistant instance remotely for a small monthly fee that also supports the Home Assistant project. The configuration is done by the user interface, so there's no fiddling with router settings, SSL certificates, or any YAML. So, whereabouts in the UK are you, Adrian? I know it's a, a big place over there. Yeah, no, I, um, I'm west of London, so mm-hmm. I live in a town called Maidenhead, uh, which is reasonably close to where I work, so not much of a commute. Nice. All right. Well, we'll break down everything with you in a minute, but first, Rohan, new release, and it's actually a pretty a mixed bag. This release is a whole bunch of new features, a, a whole bunch of breaking changes, but... I think the the biggest change this release has to do with the new database, which has come in for Home Assistant. So when you upgrade to 0.112 for the first time, Home Assistant is going to do a massive update to the database backend. So this might be MySQL if you're using a MySQL database or the SQL Lite database. It's essentially what stores all the history Home Assistant uses for the logbook and the activity history. So when you turn off and on lights... And yeah, the, the update is based to do around speed. So once this update is done, it'll basically re-index everything, make everything a little bit snappier. It might take a few minutes when you first boot into 0.112 because the Home Assistant database is going to reformat itself and, and put it back into its proper order. If you have a huge database, we're talking like gigabytes, maybe 30 gig or something, it might take a few hours. So don't you know think Home Assistant, the updates failed for whatever reason. Just keep be, be patient. But usually if you've got some good hardware and you've got a small database, you know, small history, maybe you've kept your recorder settings to just 24 hours or something, it should only take, you know, maybe a couple of minutes for the update to take effect. Yeah, that's great. But also along with that, the logbook and history kind of related also uh, have a date and time range picker now. So it doesn't show a full day's worth of data by default, uh, it just shows a couple of hours. And then, and then you can kind of... Uh, filter almost by by what you need that is something i has been really frustrating me for quite some time is when i would go in go oh what triggered that you know blind to open all of a sudden i go into the history and it takes you know like one to two minutes for it to hold load the whole 24 hour history um so yeah only loading a couple of hours that'll make it much faster and also like the ability to filter down by time so that's really cool because i thought previously you could only do a whole day which sometimes didn't make sense no, and, and, it, and it's kind of annoying, right? Which is, if I know that it's something happened between here and here, mm. then why am I sitting there scrolling through whatever, trying to find whatever? Um, exactly. This, yeah. this, this makes a lot more sense to me, uh, being able to filter. And along with that, you can now see who turned the, uh, or changed an entity state. So two turned a light on and off if you're using home assistant users. So if you have multiple users in your house and they're all logged in on their phones, you can now tell who turned off and on uh, an entity. So that's pretty cool to see those sort of features that have been in a while starting to finally filter out into the UI, I think. Yeah, and, and which is also which is also kind of nice because again, if you know, if you have kids and the kids are like, No, I didn't I yeah. didn't do this, I didn't turn this off. <laughs> uh, actually, yeah, you did. Um, so that's which is nice. Um 
I, I, I don't know how that would work with, uh, again, like an Amazon Echo and stuff like that. Mm. I'm guessing that'll just show up as like a system, turn it on or off or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, or, or who, who's ever account that that's logged into maybe I'm not, I'm not sure, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a good, uh, step forward. Right. So also multiple entities and states are now in YAML. So if you love your YAML automations, uh, you can actually put in a list of entity IDs, uh, or the states in, uh, when it comes to the conditions. So that's, uh, handy. This is awesome especially because you know i love the yaml for automations being a developer i just love programming yeah you know in text and this is going to clean up a whole bunch of yaml you know i have a whole bunch of like and conditions you know like this input boolean needs to be off this one needs to be off this light this binary sensor needs to be off being able to put them into just that one block as a list just makes it a lot so much space Yeah, yeah exactly yeah and an interesting one which i thought was hopefully will help me around the house. The Home Assistant UI now disconnects after five minutes of inactivity. So if you've got Home Assistant loaded up in a a browser window, uh, it's constantly polling with uh, WebSockets to get, you know, like sensor data. Basically, if you're looking at the Home Assistant dashboard, it should be live updating. Yeah. Uh, Now, if you're on a phone and you have your browser left open in the background, Home Assistant can actually keep that connection open And it will, you know, just end up draining your battery in the background because you're not looking at it. So now if you haven't touched or you haven't used the Home Assistant window, after five minutes, it'll close off that connection to Home Assistant, which should basically save some battery power, especially for mobile devices. I'll be interested to see how this goes for dashboards around people's homes. If they're using Lovelace for a dashboard, all of a sudden you may have to go up and, and touch a tablet on the wall for it to get the latest updates for a sensor. So that'll be interesting to see, but yeah. Yeah, or, or even, even I don't know how that affects uh, the phone from a push perspective, right? So again, like I use the Home Assistant iOS app. Mm. So does that disconnect? Does that not? Uh, because again, that's some variant of the UI, right? So True, true. I think maybe HTML5 notifications may be affected, but I'm guessing that the instance pushes it, right? Or the, it's the Home Assistant instance is pushing out a notification, whereas this is just a WebSocket that's constantly polling for um, information to come through. Mm-hmm. So you, I, I the, hope that's the, push the case. Yeah. Push notifications should be fine. Yeah. I, again, I, I think, I think to your point, Phil, though, I think the biggest, uh, biggest piece is going to be for those that use um, tablets or anything like that on yeah. the wall uh, are on their walls. And, you know, that, how, how does this affect that? Right. Cause a lot of folks I know would just use a browser Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe again, it may, might be an ancient tablet, something like that you don't have the app store, you don't wh- whatever, whatever reason, right? Uh, or you just like the simplicity of having the browser and not having to install a new app. So, um, and and I wonder down the road if that's going to be customizable or what. So yeah, maybe they can make it a config option, you know, disconnect after thirty minutes or something, or right, disconnect right, after right. through these times, like exactly night or something. Exactly. So. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how this, uh, how this works out. So to see what, how, what happens there also. So now there's a notify events notification service. So essentially what that is, is it's a service that can send, uh, notifications to users across different platforms. So again, uh, examples, fiber, discord, SMS, or even phone calls, again, depends on whatever, whatever you choose on there. So 
so yeah, Notify Events is now supported as as a service, which is kind of neat. Pretty cool. It's like a a little aggregator, so you can just set up that service, and then depending on, it's, I think it's main uh, aimed at developers. Like I saw, there was a lot of you know like tooling, you know, like Jenkins, um, Travis, those sort of things were all yeah as you know services that are integrated there. And now, of course, Home Assistant is on that list. So cool to see stuff there. Yeah, I'm 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 curious as to what that's you know what that's like because I know some things like SMS, for example, that there's a gate gateway that they need to host, and there might be a cost to that and stuff like that. Yeah, I looked into it because um, I was intrigued, right? Like I'd love to have phone calls, you know, that don't cost a bomb down here in Australia uh, yeah. as notifications for like you know critical alerts. But I think there is a it, the rate start. I think it's. 30 cents for a phone call and it's like two and a half cents for an sms something like that interesting yeah i'm just looking at the canada prices and it's about 1.7 cents for a call and about wow. 0.9 cents 0.98 so almost a cent for, yeah. for an sms yeah um, which is neat that's reasonable uh, yeah. and they have a basic plan that's free something like that community support so i don't know might be something i i look into down the road too to see what uh, what i can get from there so Mm. I am pretty happy with the with the iOS app, though. So let's see. Yeah. Some noteworthy updates um, in this release. The remote Python debugger. So this is one Frank has introduced. So if you're a Visual Studio Code user, you can now use the remote Python debugger to connect to the running Home Assistant instance to test maybe some changes you want to test out, make sure it doesn't break your config, or if you want to debug something that's going on. Now, Ron, I mentioned, I think it was on the last episode, that I've been having some issues with Home Assistant struggling with memory and all that recently. Mm-hmm. I've actually found a cool little tool. It's called PySpy, and I'll, I'll leave a, a link in the show notes. But essentially what I wanted, I needed to be able to find out what Home Assistant was doing. So every morning I'd wake up, 8 a.m. I'd walk into the kitchen, which would kick off my morning routine. The blinds would open, and then Home Assistant would just stall. It would run out of memory. It would right. use 100% CPU on my host. Um, and like lights wouldn't turn on. It would take, you know, two to five minutes for Home Assistant to eventually finish what it was doing and come back. So I installed PySpy. I actually worked out that there was, uh, the MQTT was causing, because uh, I was able to profile Home Assistant and what, prof- and what Home Assistant was doing through Docker. So that was really cool. Yeah. So connected through to the Docker instance into the Docker container and gave me a list of what Home Assistant was doing, basically like a top command. And the top thing that was using the CPU at that time was uh, the MQTT, uh, and it was polling MQTT. So what I worked out was, um, as I walk into the kitchen, my blinds open, and the blinds have a battery reporting. And as the blinds are going up, it's draining battery. So it's constantly, the battery percentage is changing. And so every, you know, second or two, it's pumping out, you know, a change to the battery status. And so Home Assistant is getting, you know, slammed with this notification that the battery state is changing and it was causing uh, Home Assistant, for whatever reason, uh, Home Assistant in MQTT, just if the sensor updates too frequently, I read on the forums that it can cause 100% CPU use. Yeah. So I, I made some changes to uh, the integration I was using for that. Uh, and, and sure enough, that stopped. So that was cool. And then I, uh, and then I, it happened again and I worked, found, I did a, the top command again with Pipesify. And it turned out that Home Assistant was then getting stuck doing a whole bunch of templates. And that came down to, I was using uh, Nathan's soft UI. 
yeah. for all my Lovelace cards, and every one of those has a template for the markdown. So I think I, I reached a limit in Lovelace that I had too many cards doing templates for my hardware. Right. Uh, it was just yeah getting too much. But I think these tools will be great for you know everyone to be able to you know for people to find out what is using resources in home assistant where they can try and make things a little bit faster and also uh, for developers so that yeah. they can work out what integrations are taking time right like why is your could it could be you know oh my philips hue bulbs aren't working well it's because you know you've got this integration over here that's causing this to go on at the moment yeah yeah and 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 i know in a professional world there are a lot of a lot of uh solutions like this that do application performance monitoring but it's cool to see uh, something like this uh, that you know you can kind of use to benchmark almost your your uh, exactly. I guess it's more for Python programs in general, but uh, that is that is pretty handy. Some other uh, noteworthy updates: MQTT entities now will be marked as unavailable when there's no connection to MQTT. So basically, if let's say your MQTT server dies or something like that happens, it'll you'll get that yellow stripe that says unavailable that is something i've uh thought that should be in a while I've, there's been a couple of times where i've restarted my mqtt yeah. server for whatever reason and then thought oh why haven't my entities gone unavailable so that's good yeah 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 it's it's a, it's a welcome update yeah also a good way to determine if your mqtt broker is down i guess you know if everything's gone unavailable okay raise an alert yeah yeah exactly uh, new services for Sonos users. So there is now the ability for the Sonos, uh, I think there's a, a remove song service. So if you want to remove a song from the queue, maybe you want to remove the third song that's about to play, uh, you can now remove it through Home Assistant. There's also a new queue position uh, as an attribute to Sonos speakers. So you can find out how far into a playlist you are. So you might be playing the 23rd song yeah. in an album or something like that. And I believe there's also support now for the Sonos Playbase. So if you have one of those brand new Sonos Playbase uh, speakers that Home Assistant, uh, that Sonos have released, then you now can control those in Home Assistant. That's neat. Yeah. Uh, breaking changes. So there's actually a bunch of breaking changes. Mm. So you know what? Check the release notes. Um, I know, I know a lot of people like us to kind of go through the top couple, but uh, in all honesty, there's just so much right now that, uh, you know, we don't, we don't know that we'll actually have the ability to go through all of those. So, uh, yeah, have a look at the release notes and, 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 uh, make sure you look at that before you upgrade. I think there's been a whole bunch of integrations moved over to the UI. So there'll be a lot of deprecations and all that. So Yeah. yeah, watch out for that too. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, Adrian. Now it's uh, you know, it's 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 Q&A time with you. So, I mean, you know what, why don't you start off just tell us a little bit a uh, little bit about yourself and and your home assistant uh, experience and and your automation experience and as a whole. Cool. So, um yeah, I I guess I I, I had to try and look this up this evening cuz I wasn't I wasn't entirely sure how long or when I started, but I figure it's about four years that I've been using Home Assistant. So nice. um, I, I got in. I got into home automation because um, where I work, and I won't say where I work because they're not really involved yep. in any of this. But uh, they were looking to get into the home automation space, and uh, they picked up some uh, product and service from uh, AT and T, uh, 
in the US. So AT&T have got a sort of packaged offering that they were they were looking to launch, and uh, I was fortunate enough to get involved in the uh, in the beta test for that. And they came along and they put some uh, put some home automation kit in my house, and wow. uh, I started looking at it and started getting into it, and thinking this is pretty cool, this is quite interesting. And at a certain point, they decided they weren't going to pursue that opportunity any further. And by that point, I've got I got the bug. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was chatting to some friends at work, and they said, "Oh, you should look at this uh, this home assistant tool. It's completely free. It uh, it runs on all sorts of platforms." And uh, I, I gave it a go, and uh, the rest is history, as they say. Yeah, nice. So, what, like four years ago? That would have been pretty early, maybe like zero point five or something, maybe even earlier than that. Yeah. I've got very. I've got, I'd love to find out. I mean, I've got really got no way of knowing. I was going back to old emails and trying to see, you know, what was the earliest reference I could find. But, um, but no, I mean, I, you know, it, it's been it's been a great journey. It's been uh, it's a brilliant piece of software. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I love all the things that they've done with it. I love the way they've enhanced it, and I absolutely like this idea that you've got in Home Assistant. You've got this manager of managers. That's how I, how I describe mm-hmm. it to people. You've got all these little bits of automation that sit around mm-hmm. your home. You've got your Philips Hue bulbs. You've got your Sonos. You've got your you know, Logitech Harmony. You've got all these different platforms that in, in themselves do great stuff. But trying to get them to work together is, is incredibly frustrating. And having something like Home Assistant where you can, you can join up the various bits so when I when I put the television on to to watch TV as a as a harmony activity, I can then basically go to my Philips Hue lights and get them to do things. Yes, and yes. It's something that commercially no nobody has got right. Nobody's got right in the commercial world, and I don't think they ever will. I don't think there'll ever be one platform that will, will solve all of those problems. Not in not in a commercial sense. Yeah. I think the problem now it's becoming a sort of a, a race to build the ecosystem to do that. And I think it's going to end up being a bit like Netflix and the streaming wars where, you know, all of a sudden Netflix was first to market and now every studio is bringing out their own streaming service and it sort of devalues what Netflix was to offer, right? Which was, you know, a single place, a single fee for people to go in and and consume a whole bunch of content. And now, uh, you know, I think the joke is now that we basically need another Netflix to... To sort of pick and choose or to bring all these subscription services together, right? So, you know, now we've got Apple HomeKit, we've got Google that was doing, I think, Weave, they were calling it. Um, yeah. We've got Amazon that's, you know, doing the, um, with their Echoes, they've got the uh, the Echo Plus that can do Zigbee integration that they, everyone's trying to be the silo and and everything integrates through them. Or you've got smart things from Samsung. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So all of these, all of these people are trying to get into that. Are trying to do that. I mean, I t- I've taken a look at HomeKit because I'm a big Apple, big Apple fan. But I sure. mean, again, you know, HomeKit. I must admit, HomeKit didn't particularly excite me. It didn't. Mm-hmm. It didn't kind of. It didn't have that 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 tackiness that Home Assistant does, where where everything. I mean, I mean, tacky in a bad sense. I mean, tacky as in a in a sticky sense, as it it, it kind of glues everything together. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that, right? And and a lot of it comes down to again having the same problem that Phil was saying, and and you're saying that around just everybody's doing their own thing now, and and it kind of breaks a lot of stuff, especially in the commercial world. And then of course we're seeing a raft of you know 
early early adopters or early entrants into the marketplace now are kind of saying this isn't economical we can't sustain it mm-hmm. and they're starting to shut down their cloud platforms yeah. the last last couple of episodes i've listened to from you guys yeah you know, you're talking about various ecosystems going offline and all of a sudden the technology is uh, is, is not viable anymore yeah totally you know, you're potentially sitting on a brick that you can't use yep yeah, and 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 again, a lot of people closing off APIs. It's, it's not just a, hey, it's a brick. It's it's also now like, great, you can use it, but you can use it on our terms, not on your terms, right? Mm-hmm. Smart Things actually yeah. came out this week and said we're removing the ability for developers to use. I think they have Go or something like that. One of their, you can actually code uh, devices that don't exist in the Smart Things ecosystem. Yeah, and they came out and said we're deprecating that. Uh, they also said that, you know, there'll be devices, you know, maybe some switches or sensors that will eventually, you know, that are seven years old, it may see end of life, you know, mm-hmm. so uh, it, it, it's definitely a thing, right? It, it, it sucks. Yeah, I mean, at least the nice thing about their sensors, and, and like, I've got a few uh, Samsung sensors, but they're all Zigbee based, right? So mm. great, you know what, I, I actually moved a lot of my Samsung sensors off of the Samsung Hub. I actually have the original V1 Sam, uh, SmartThings Hub or whatever. Mm, nice. Yeah. Um, way pre Samsung. You know, I, I don't need SmartThings to, to the SmartThings platform to be able to utilize those anymore, right? So it's not a complete waste. It's not that I have to go out rebuy my or re- yep. repurchase my my sensors, right? And and at least that's a nice thing about there being a level of openness, right? Uh, where you know and and it is it is annoying that Samsung is killing off that platform, but at least I can I don't have to reinvest in everything. And 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 again, kudos kudos to them for making that decision. And, and I think that was pre Samsung themselves. I think I think that was that was more yeah. smart things, right? But uh, you know, at least at least kudos for keeping that open, right? No, I mean I I I, I try and do that now. I try and think about. If I'm going to buy something or I'm going to invest in something, is it an ecosystem that I can mm-hmm. I can yeah. move forward with? So uh, I think one of my one of my most recent acquisitions was I bought myself a combi stick, nice. uh, just so I could start doing some stuff with Zigbee Home Automation yes. uh, ZHA. And I, I have to say I'm incredibly impressed with it. I'm using those little uh, Xiaomi is it Akiva Akiva. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking. Yeah, I'm looking. Yeah, I'm looking around here for the box. I can't see the box. Yeah, in, <laughs> in my study, I've got the, uh, I've got the the middle of the box which I'm holding up to the camera. But uh, yeah. yeah, very small, very tiny sensors. Um, uh, there's actually one on the door behind me for the guys who can see me, uh, just so I can test it. Uh, it's mm, yeah. So I, I, when I started out, I kind of out of that work project, I was left with a with a bunch of uh, Z Wave. Uh, sensors. So nice. I was left with some Z Wave, Z Wave motion, Z Wave plugs. I was left with out mm-hmm. of that. So I kind of, when I started, I kind of invested in in Z Wave, and I've had mixed mixed results with Z Wave. Uh, when it works, it works very well. Yes. But on a number of occasions, my home assistant Z Wave has decided to completely forget every single device. And I pretty much had to start from scratch, so I found that found that mm. very frustrating. So, right. if you trawl back through the forums, you will find sort of <laughs> heated discussion between me and various other people about uh, what on <laughs> earth what on earth is going on with Z Wave. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and why does it keep forgetting stuff? So I'm I'm currently sort of midway between sort of deciding whether I carry on with Z Wave 
or whether I, I push completely over into uh, Zigbee Home Automation and do everything with ZHA because I'm finding ZHA that much more reliable, that much more convenient. And so far, it's, it's, it's very, very solid. Um, I, I've got quite a, I've got a, a rent, so I've got to be careful what I, what I install. I can't mm, do permanent installs. Sure. I mean, it's a very large floor plan. It's, a, it's, um, it's, it's a single, I don't know, we call it a bungalow. It's a single yep. story. So it doesn't have an upstairs, but it's, it's got a very big ground floor print. And it's always been a challenge to, to find technologies that will cover the whole house. Um, so if I've got a if I've got a hue hub at one end of the house, yeah. uh, I kind of find I have to put a, a hue bulb in the middle of the house just to yeah. act as yeah. a bit of a repeater. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, I I, I thought Zigbee was going to get around that, but it didn't. Um, but I, uh, I I then researched what I could do in terms of a uh, I think they call it a Zigbee router. Yep. Uh, so you've got like a controller, a router, and a, mm-hmm. a, a sort of end node. And I looked at building my own router. I looked at sort of various Zigbee modules and what I could do with those. And before I went down that route, I uh, I found a couple of Zigbee smart plugs uh, from, a comp- from a company called Inner, I-N-N-R. They were reasonably cheap on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And they've solved the problem brilliantly. So I've got a couple of those plugged in around the house. And uh, and they've just they've just sort of made the uh, the whole Zigbee network on the Combi completely reliable. I think it also depends on the controller as well. I know I was using Zigbee to MQTT with a whole bunch of uh, the C2530s or, or whatever they're called, the you know the little USB sticks. Yeah, uh, and I have a whole bunch of downlights, Zigbee downlights, and they just wouldn't communicate together. I ended up running three Zigbee networks because my house isn't that huge. Uh, but once again, you know, getting from one end to the other, it was just a pain. But since moving to the Combi, uh, all the Zigbee devices are, are communicating with each other and have created this super mesh, you know, from Philips Hue to Osram to Xiaomi. So, uh, yeah, much better. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, I, haven't cool. been, I haven't been brave enough to move the Hue bulbs around yet. They're still sitting on there. So pretty much all my lighting I've moved to Hue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I uh, I started out with Hue. Uh, I then added in some uh, IKEA Tradfury. Yep. yep. That's how you pronounce it. Um, and terrible experience with the Tradfury hub. I thought it was a, an awful piece of technology. It, uh, it, when it works, again, when it works, it works. And then it seems to, depending on firmware updates, certain firmware updates, it just completely stopped working. Oh, wow. Uh, it wouldn't go online. It wouldn't get a DHCP uh, address from my router. That's couldn't figure it out. So, at a certain point in time, the the ecosystems got suitably aligned that you could uh, mm-hmm. you could pair a Tradfury bulb with a with a Hue hub. So from that point, all of my IKEA bulbs are basically paired up with the Hue hub. So I've got all the lighting is on Hue. Cool. And kind of, I think where I go is all of my home home automation tech. So the door sensors, the motion sensors, any other kind of sensors I want to put down. I think I'll put those on the combi. And probably over time, just decommission the uh, the Z wave, and uh, you know, either pass it on to somebody else or, uh, or mm. stick it on eBay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the other thing is too for less critical stuff, right? Like, um, 
then maybe those kind of things, if there's other spaces, which, you know, it's good to have, but you don't really need, you know, that, that kind of stuff is like, okay, great. Instead of going out and spending money on more stuff, since you have the infrastructure, just stick it there and, and call it a day. Right. Yep. Yep. So repurpose it that way. So I get, so you mentioned you're, you're in, in your bungalow. How many other people are in your home? Is it just yourself or have you got other people? No, I've got my, got my partner and I've got a 16 year old son. Nice. So, sixteen-year-old son is completely home automation unaware. Yeah, he's the one. Yeah. Who, he's the one who continually goes around and turns out light, turns off light switches, and uh, uh, you know, <laughs> we'll sit down in the living room and say, "Well, my, my partner will say, well, why haven't the lights come on, or why aren't the lights working?" I will go, "Well, they're probably turned off on the switch." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that yeah. is one of my biggest frustrations: is uh, somebody needs to invent. Uh, you know, a switch cover that you can put on that kind of locks the switches on, but still gives you the ability to to interface to home automation. I'd, I'd love to find something like that. I know they uh, do for the states. Yeah, yeah. There, there is, there is. Um, who is a fill? Is it Lutron that has that? I think yeah, it's Lutron, I Lutron that has that. Um, and and basically, it's like a little. It's almost like those uh, radio knobs uh, for the for the light switches, the, the dimmer switches. It looks like that, but it actually controls. I think it pairs with uh, Philips Hue, and it'll actually control the the light that way, mm. right? And kind of uh, lock it into place. So I, I know it only works in certain countries, though. Yeah, I need a UK version because the UK's got its own way of doing things. Yeah, own, yeah, own size of switches, and uh, you know. We switch things down to go on and up to go off. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of the opposite to the US. The US does it the other way around. Yes. Uh, so, but yeah, something like that. I mean, I, I've, I've even thought about just rewiring the light switch so that I just wire, I just basically wire the two ends of the wires together <laughs> inside the switch. So Yeah. Honestly, the, remove the choice. I do because I'm a renter as well. Masking tape on the switch. As soon as you, the fingers Duck go tape. to touch <laughs> the switch, it's an immediate, oh yeah, I shouldn't touch that. Yeah. Because there is a there is a there is a huge switch in the living room, but it's not it's not in the same place as the switch. Yeah, it's on the other right. side of a bookcase. There's a switch. There's one of the portable little huge switches you can take down. And uh, you've just reminded me. Actually, I've got a uh, I've got a brand new um, Zigbee uh, standalone double switch sitting here that I, I meant to play with and I haven't done a thing with yet. <laughs> uh, it's just for that purpose. So just to, to put over the top of light switches. Yeah. No, that's cool. And then I, I kind of run. So what do I do? I run pretty much everything on Docker. Okay. So I've mm-hmm. got a, I've got a server here, and I've, I've really got into Docker. So I used to nice. run lots of individual services on a variety of machines around the house. And uh, a good few years ago, I picked up a cheap HP micro server, and uh, I run Linux on that. And then I've got a as a Docker host. Yeah. And then I've got a whole bunch of about fifteen or twenty different Docker images that I run. For various things um, to do that. So you were talking about the database earlier. So I've got mm. a I've got a MySQL Docker container. Yeah, that just looks after Home Assistant. So they kind of I use uh, I use something called Docker Compose. So you yep. can mm-hmm. kind of describe your whole setup in one file. So I've got one file that describes all my Home Assistant setup, and uh, and then it basically lists all the different Docker containers, and they can all talk to one another, and. And integrate that way. So I'm I'm very pleased with that. That works really well, and it's yeah. really easy when it comes to update. You're like me. You've probably got things like MQTT, 
uh, as a, a Docker image, you've probably got, um, what else is there? I've got Influx, DB, Grafana, all, all running connected to Absolutely, system. Absolutely, yeah. You, yeah. You're, you're basically describing my system. Um, <laughs> I also played a few years ago with something called Happy Bubbles. Have you heard of Happy Bubbles? Yes, yeah. yes. I don't think they work yeah. anymore, though. I think they still work. They still work. Do they? He doesn't, okay. uh, they got, they, I think they became a victim of, um, of the trade war that's going on between the US mm. and China. So I think, mm-hmm. I think reading between the lines of his website, it seems to be that he, he was importing the, the stuff from China and selling it on. Yep. And it just became too expensive with all the tariffs for him to import from China. So he's kind of given that up as a, as a project, but I've still got a few around the house. And so I run a, I run a happy bubble server inside Docker. So there were the the Bluetooth beacons that you could yeah track Bluetooth things. beacons. The idea was you could yeah. track people around. So one of the biggest challenges I have, but coming back to the social side, is mm. is my partner is very anti a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't right. like the idea of being tracked. She doesn't like the idea of being observed. So I'm not allowed to put any cameras in the house. Mm-hmm. Makes uh, sense. There's, there's no cameras allowed in the house. I've got a couple of cameras outside that are hooked up. But uh, if there's the slightest suspicion of a camera anywhere in the house, it gets yeah. gets taken down and put back in my study. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so and then you know things like presence detection. Again, you know, it doesn't go down too well. So I've got to, I've got to do, 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 you know, small steps with those kind of things. And uh, you know, sure. and I don't, I don't want to create, I don't want to create the impression that people in the house are being observed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I exactly, think that's, yeah. a, that's a fine line you've got to, you've got to draw. And uh, yeah, you know, I love the idea that you walk into a room and everything turns on, but I think some people find that a little bit intimidating and a little bit unsettling. Sure, sure. And, and and again, sometimes that happens even with, I mean, there's the people that live in your house, but there's also like guests and such, right? So it's like, you know, and, and, and those, those are all important design considerations, right? Like at one point I was thinking, oh, I should put a motion sensor in the, in, in the guest bathroom. And I was like, that's why, like, that's not, it does not, that, that right? It's, yeah. it's that, you know, you have that thought, then you got to kind of pull yourself back and being like, that's you know, fine. It's a motion sensor. What's it going to capture? And is there motion? Is there not? Right. But it's like, you know, for somebody that's not aware of what that is actually is, it's, you know, it can kind of be like, man, are you, you know, what what are you doing in the bathroom here? Right. Like it's, so it, 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 you're right though. Right. It, it is, it is a, it is a fine line and, and you kind of have to deal with, okay, what does that look like? Right. Or why am, you know, what am I trying to get? And is there a better way of doing something? So just because you can do something doesn't necessarily mean it's a good idea to do it. Absolutely. One of the things I've learned, I think, is, uh, you know, you've uh, you've sometimes got to scale back your ambition and and do something (laughs) that's useful and, and helpful. Yeah. You know, so so, you know, the light that turns on in the hallway when you you get up and walk out of the living room, that's really, really good. Everyone, everyone likes that. Everyone gets that. You know, um, having a you know having a dashboard that says, okay, you know, my uh, my partner is at home and I'm at home or I'm in the office or whatever. I think yeah. that that starts to freak people out. It starts to you know raise concerns about well, why are you why are you why do you know where I am? Why are you tracking me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All those all those reasons. Um, I played with uh, I played with Raspberry Pi quite a bit uh, over the years. Uh, either having a sort of standalone mm-hmm. install of Home Assistant mm-hmm. or Raspberry Pi. Um, I kind of don't use it in anger because I found SD card problems. I found they would run okay for a while and then you know, I, I was probably doing it wrong, but I would find <laughs> SD cards would start dying and yeah. things would stop working. Yeah. 
There's 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 a lot of issues, especially with database rights and stuff like that. There's there's tons of issues with uh, with just the nature of SD cards, right? So I've I've got I've got a Raspberry Pi up and running at the moment with the and I use it to run the the latest beta. Yeah. So when you were talking about the beta earlier, I was checking a few things while you were talking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just having a look at it, but uh, yeah. So I, I keep that one on the latest beta, and I've been using it to to play with the new Z-Wave integration. Hmm. So they're cool. changing the. I don't, I don't know how how. So they're moving the Z-Wave integration out of Home Assistant into its yeah. own container, and then they're going to use uh, MQTT to to do the communication between exactly. Uh, between Home Assistant and the the Z-Wave stack, and the idea is you keep the hopefully avoid some of those issues I've seen where the whole network disappears. Uh, that that was when I first started with together. Home Assistant. That was the problem, right? It, it took a while for Home Assistant to restart because the Z-Wave network had to reboot and find all the nodes. Uh, so keeping you know the Z-Wave on its own separate instance via the uh, there's actually Project Z-Wave to MQTT. By keeping it all there, you essentially remove the need for the Z-Wave network to restart as you're rebooting Home Assistant. Yeah. So I think, I know Paulus mentioned when uh, one of the episodes he was on with us, Rohan, that eventually one day they want to be able to see sort of components in Home Assistant some, with something similar, right? So yeah. instead of having to upgrade to a 0.112 to get the latest Philips Hue features, you would just upgrade the Philips Hue component inside Home Assistant. Yep. Um, and, and keep Home Assistant Core as its own separate thing. So eventually that will be cool. When, when we get to that day, that'll be awesome to see, I think. Yeah, I think I think that's a very long time away. But but uh, at the same time, yeah, you're right, right? Whether it's, you know, run different things as different containers or something like that, whatever, whatever that yeah. is, right? I think, uh, you know, that might be some really interesting stuff, right? So yeah, so I've got I've got that sitting there. Um, automation wise, I I started out with YAML, but I didn't really get on with the YAML automations. Okay. So I kind oh, of looked around for for something else. I mean, I know they've done a lot now to to make those much more approachable. There's a lot of sort of stuff you can do through the UI to set mm. those up. But uh, I've I've in the end I've settled on Node Red. Uh, I cool. steep learning curve at the start, but there's a lot of good online resources out there. There's a lot of good yeah. tutorials out there around Node Red, and uh, and I actually find it's it's a it's a really intuitive environment. So I, I've got a bit of a background in, in programming and, uh, and and IT, and I, I love the idea that you've kind of got the the home assistant sitting there as your as your state machine that reflects mm. how everything is. And then when things happen in there, it fires an event out. That event goes into to Node Red, yeah. and Node Red lets you just visually lay down what you want to happen with that uh, with that that event as it flows through your uh, your automations. So, see, I, I'm the, and this is why I love Homestead because there's so many different ways to skin a cat, right? Mm-hmm. But I am complete opposite. I I tried to use Node Red for that reason. You know, I thought. Great, let's have Home Assistant as the hub that yeah. tracks all the states and then have a different system that's doing the automations. And I looked into Node Red and I just found it so confusing. And maybe my programming mind just can't get around having to drag, you know, no- connect nodes together and, you know, just doing simple things like an input Boolean state and if I'm home, do it this way, don't do it that way, sort of thing. You just, I couldn't get my head around it. And then it was, it's hard for people to share their node red configs because it ends up all being just json and it sort of gets confusing i I just i couldn't get my head around it but 
then again, you've just said complete opposite, right? You just found once you got over the learning curve, bam, Node-RED was much easier. Yeah, but it's a fair point about sharing. It is difficult to share stuff and it's difficult to, to debug stuff. You've got to be yeah. prepared to, you know, grab somebody else's export effectively, bring it into your system and then play around with it till you get yeah. doing what you want. And it's, you know, it's, it's definitely more of a journey than a destination, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think you can spend an awful long time on it. I mean, I, you know, one of, one of my, you know, I'm just looking at some of the flows while I'm talking to you. And I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of lines and a lot of boxes yeah. linking stuff together. And it, it, it can be difficult to come back to. Uh, and how's the uh, debugging like? How do you find, it's, like, what, what node's gone wrong when you're trying to debug something? How, how would you work that out? Um, well, I think I think I find the debugging pretty good. I mean, you can if you you have these um, debugging nodes and you you just kind of plumb in your flow to the mm. debugging node and the and the node when it fires will uh, will just basically you can get it to dump the entire message uh, out to a debug debug console uh, yep. inside yep. Node Red and you can see exactly what goes on. Oh, I think it's uh, I think it's it's a really useful way to do stuff. I mean, I I don't I don't think it's for everyone, and I don't think potentially you need it for everyone needs it. But uh, once mm. you once you get into it, once you get used to it, uh, it's it's very flexible and it's uh, you know it's very easy to work with, and the ability for to use things like regular expressions or just just simple pattern matching, where you can basically say, okay, anything that looks like a sensor yeah. that fires, feed it into this flow. And then within the flow, you've got access to the name of the sensor and you can, from the name of the sensor, you can figure out what room you're in and then you can do different things depending on what room, what room sensor's gone off or what type mm. of sensor's gone off. Um, I find that, that very, for me, that, that works really well. What I, what I found with the, the original YAML was I ended up with, with long, long lists of things or things repeating, you know, dozens of times to get it to do what I wanted. Yeah, yeah, I can see that too. Yeah. So, what is one of your like favorite automations or routines you've got set up, like well, that you, think, is your go-to? I think the one that had the the, the absolute highest acceptance factor, if we go back to that that argument, was um, I put a motion sensor in our garage, and mm-hmm. uh, so at the time, my uh, my partner's son and and my son were were both sort of living in the house at the same time. Uh, my son now lives with his with his mum full time, um, but they were they just started got got to an age where they were they were sort of taking themselves to school independently. They were cycling off to school. We both work, so they were they were cycling themselves off to school in the morning. Sometimes after we'd left, you know, they're sort of teenagers, mm. and mm-hmm. and then they'd come home in the afternoon from school uh, with their bikes and just just having the ability, you know, the peace of mind to know, okay, in the morning. About eight thirty, I would get an alert from the garage motion sensor to say somebody's in the garage, and I think, okay, yeah, they're getting the bikes out to go to school. And about three thirty, four o'clock in the afternoon, you get another trigger with the sensor to say they've come home. Yeah, right. uh, that was that was massive peace of mind to to myself and my partner. So we did, we just kind of know, yeah, everything's okay, everything's gone all right. You know, we we weren't using it to to follow up on people, but just having that peace of mind worked out really well. That's um, interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's that's handy. Yeah, I mean the usual stuff like the Christmas tree lights, you know, and the Christmas lights. You know, that's a nice that's a nice thing to do, and having an automation around that. I uh, I, I found something online uh, a few months uh, about a year ago, maybe six months ago, about making your uh, making your household appliances smart. 
yeah. uh, using a using a Z-Wave power monitoring smart plug, and uh, I really like that idea. I thought that was brilliant. Put a put a yeah. smart plug behind your washing machine or behind your dryer or behind your dishwasher, and you can basically use the the power consumption on the uh, on the smart plug to figure out where your where your washing machine is in the in the cycle. So, yeah, so I've got a blog post on my blog about that. And I've done it for my It dishwasher. might be your blog that I've read. It there might be go. your blog that I've read. There you go. <laughs> I've got the dishwasher <laughs> and washing machine done. And uh, a few people have even converted. I think there's a now there's an, an app daemon version. So there's a Python version out there. And there's also someone's done it in Node-RED as well. So uh, you can download the export and put it into Node-RED as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, got, I've got a Node-RED version of it sitting here. I'm just yeah. looking at it at, uh, doing that. Um, the, the biggest frustration I've, I've had so far with, with automations has, has got to be motion sensors and lights. I, I cannot get to a point where I can get motion sensors and lights to behave the way I want them to. And I don't know why. Uh, and I've, I've, I've come up with multiple iterations of, of either home assistant automations or uh, uh, I, I found a, I found an amazing another amazing blog post from somebody who was um, I'm just look, trying to look for new lighting there it is I'm just got it up on the screen they've actually uh, they've actually implemented a state machine in Node Red to, oh, wow. to do their lights so the theory is great the theory is that the the lights are in different states depending upon you know the time of day and uh, right. whether they were last turned on with motion or whether they were last turned on with a switch and you know there's all these wonderful timers but i i will sit here in my study and i'll walk in the door and the lights will come on and i think great and i'll sit here and i'll be working away and you know i've got a motion sensor pretty much pointing at me where i sit and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden the lights will just turn off and i don't know why oh so <laughs> and i i keep coming back to it and i keep trying to debug it and i can't for the life of me quite figure out something about the 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 timing on the motion sensor and the timing yeah, on the lights yeah. that I haven't got right. Yeah, start waving your hands and all that stuff before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I want to get away from that. I'm really, I'm really trying. Yeah. For me, that's where like the power of Home Assistant is in that Home Assistant knows what's going on in the home. So, for example, I have the same problem, right? Like the desk I'm at right now, all the lights in my house are automated, um, but I have a power monitor on my uh uh, on my monitor, on my PC monitor. So when I'm on the computer and the power is being drawn, Home Assistant then knows, all right, power's being sucked out of the computer, the computer's on. So don't turn the lights off if there's no motion. So that way, you know, um, if I come into the room, the lights will turn on. If I leave the room and I'm not using the computer, the lights will turn off. But as soon as I start using the computer and the screen stays on, the lights will stay on too because someone's at the computer, but they're not waving their hands, moving around too much. Right. So that's where I think the power of home assistant being able to know contextually what's going around the house based on different things. You know, for example, my PC monitor is Z-Wave, um, but my motion sensors might be Zigbee. So, you know, being able to combine the two protocols Absolutely, to yeah. get a state of the room, um, that's where it can do some really tricky stuff. No, it's good. Uh, it's a good idea. Well, I, I will go back to it and I will have another go. And it's one of those ones that I'm determined to crack one day. You could even use a ping sensor. If your computer's on and it's yeah. being, responding to a ping, then don't turn the lights off. I was just yeah. thinking that. Yeah, exactly. But I have a nasty habit of leaving all my technology switched on in the study. So <laughs> it's a good suggestion, but it's not for me. You know. Yeah. Uh, my, my, my study is the warmest room in the house. That's funny. 
In fact, I've turned a few things off while I'm doing this uh, doing this recording just because I wanted to cut down the amount of background noise. Sure. Um, so are you using any voice control? Have you got like, you know, an Amazon Echo or Google Home set up? Um, I, I do have uh, voice assistants around the house. I don't have them hooked up to Home Assistant. Oh, um, interesting. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I've never, I've looked at Nabucasa and I, I, you know, I've, and I've looked at, you know, pre Nabucasa in terms of what you can mm. do. And, uh, um, it's, it's something I need to look at. It's something I need, I need to get into. I've, um, I've done a little bit of, um, I have done a little bit of text to speech, but I've done the text to speech inside node red. Um, so I, I tried using the, um, some of the examples for text to speech in Home Assistant with uh, my Sonos Sonos setup, um, and I didn't get on with it. But uh, I found the I found a Node Red integration called uh, Sonos Poly TTS, mm-hmm, and it basically mm-hmm. ties in ties up Amazon Poly yeah. and Sonos together. Uh, so I have actually got some stuff running with that. So when I trigger things in Home Assistant. So I've kind of set up a, you know, uh, going to bed message. Yep. So the idea is a you know, single shutdown button at night to stop all the uh, all the lights coming on and off in response to motion sensors and all of those things. And when I trigger that, the uh, the Sonos will will actually come along and uh, just play a sort of you know, very Avengers style little alert chime and uh, and you know say good night. Uh, it's time for bed. What well, what's the reason behind doing that inside node red and not using something like home assistant because home assistant has right. great text to speech f- with sonos and you can do amazon poly google text to speech in and you'll just call this a home assistant service you know like tts.say and specify the sonos speaker why would you put that in node red and not in home assistant I think there's probably two things. It was a bit of a learning exercise for for Node Red, mm-hmm. and I was curious to see what I could do with Node Red. And as I say, when I when I tried it in the past, uh, I've tried um, Sonos TTS, and I tried a couple of things. I think I tried Poly, and I tried what, there's an IBM one, isn't there? And I can't remember the IBM one. Yeah, Watson, Watson I think it is. Uh, yeah. yeah, I've tried Watson, and I, I didn't get on with the automations, and I, I didn't get on with those those automated mm. approaches. And uh, and then I I found this sort of integration to Node Red, and it basically did what I want, and uh, it it works very well, I have to say. Um, and it's 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 quite clever. I don't I don't know who's done the development on it, but when you when you pass a uh, text-to-speech string over to Polly, it's capable of caching the, the result. Mm. So for messages that are always the same, you don't end up calling uh, AWS at all. Yes, it's cached yeah. locally on the uh, on the server. Right. So that uh, I think it sits in a, in a file system cache. And all it does is just replay the same message from the, the cache if it's got it cached. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's quite a, it struck me as being quite an efficient solution as well. So rather than, than you know, I'm always, always conscious about using other people's cloud services and I don't want to end up running up huge bills. Yeah. So yes. That, that yep. certainly quite appealed the idea that uh, if you've done something once and you don't change it, then you you never need to uh, you never need to basically call uh, call Amazon services ever again. No, oh, that makes sense. But yeah, I I, I th- you know I think I should do more with uh, with with uh, you know Alexa and uh, there you go. There's Alexa in the background just woken up. <laughs> you said her name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you called. Um, 
then do some more with Alexa and Home Assistant because I think that makes that's a very accessible way to in, to interact with things. Um, so you know, a combination of of, of text to speech and 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 being able to talk to something, I think yeah. Yeah, I think works out really well. And you're not into using buttons on your phone or having to use tablets mm. the, uh, on the wall and things like that. Yeah. And, and for me, it's a much more, it's, it's exactly that, right? Like I, I hate having to pull out my phone um, and, and just that, that kind of thing. Right. So it's just a, it's just an easier experience. I think I always found. Do you, are you the only one that drives the home automation? Like, do you have tablets on the wall to interface as well? So others can use it? Um, no, we use the app on the on the phone. So my my mm-hmm. partner has the uh, has the uh, home assistant for Android on her phone. Yep. And, uh, you know, I've managed to I managed to sort of get it to a point where she knows what buttons to go and press to do certain things. So we have a um, we have a number of lighting scenes in the in the living room. Yeah. So she likes to uh, she likes to sit and knit when we're in the living room. So I've uh, I've created a knitting scheme for the lights. Cool. So uh, it takes the hue light directly above where she sits, and the uh, the the table lamp next to her are both smart lamps. Both got smart lamps in them, and it basically sets those up with nice white light that she can use to uh, to do her knitting under. So nice. that that's gone that's gone down very well. That's another one's gone down very well. There's a knitting scheme that she can use to, uh, <laughs> to set the lights up so that you know they're, they're good for her to knit. So I might be sitting there watching, you know, with the relax scheme on, and she can just come in and uh, and basically switch it to to, to knitting lighting, and uh, yeah. she's very happy with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. No, I mean, I think it's a, it, as I said at the beginning, I think it's an absolutely great system. I, I you know, so much kudos to all the people who work on it and all the people who develop it and you know extend it and add it and and come up with this stuff and the um the community add on the the hacks add on is something i i've i've got into recently and uh you know all the innovation that's going on there is absolutely amazing all the uh, all the sort of you know not quite integrations but you know all the beginnings of integrations that people are contributing to that you know, I keep keep finding yeah. all sorts of interesting little gems in mm. there, and I think, well, yeah, <laughs> that's going to go on my list of things to look at, or you know, that uh, that Lovelace, you know, user interface element. You know, there's a there's battery card that somebody's just been contributing to that that I've integrated into my setup. So on one page, I can yeah. see the status of all of everything that's got a battery in in my house, and uh, and see what state it's in and see which ones need to be replaced and which ones are there so yeah i mean it's it it's it's a brilliant system and uh you know i'm really impressed as you can probably tell i'm I'm really passionate about it as well yeah i think we all are that's great Not, nothing wrong with that all right well yeah adrian thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and yeah i appreciate it well, thank you very much for inviting me no worries take care cheers bye-bye If you want to share your home assistant journey or come on as a guest, reach out to us at feedback at haspodcast.io. That's H-A-S-S podcast.io. The Home Assistant Podcast is hosted by Phil Hawthorne and myself, Rowan Caramandi. For links to topics that we discussed today, check out our show notes on haspodcast.io.